So, I'd like you to take your blue envelope. Oh, it's exciting, isn't it? And on three, on three, we're going to open your one, two, three. It's not that exciting, okay? So just let me say, there's a lot of build-up. <laughs> so basically, if you take it all out, I'm just going to explain to you what you have. Oh, look at all that noise, all that commotion, all that all excitement. <laughs> so on the thing that says you're invited, that basically is your personal invitation Handwritten by me, not. Uh, your personal invitation to this series. So it shows you the next four weeks, what the titles are, what the dates are, etc. Well, it's obviously this week, week two, then week three, then week four. There's also a book in there. When I, when I really felt that this was the right series to do at the start of a year, I, I picked up a book that I'd bought in America last March when I was out there. And I hadn't picked it up. I just bought it, put it in my bag and forgotten about it. And I really felt this was the right series to do. Then I picked this book up and this book is all about the theme. Uh, the book is called Not a Fan. And we'll talk about that in a moment. And um, it's a brilliant book. And a lot of the material that I'm going to bring to you is taken from the book and adapted from the book. But, it, but he goes in the book much further and deeper than I can on four Sunday mornings. So we bought a load of these copies of the book. They're £9. You can get them from the coffee shop or you can order them. There's also a website uh, for, with resources as well. So you, as the weeks go on, you'll get into the whole thrust of what this book is all about. On the back is a follower's prayer that we're going to kind of lead you into, into week four. I'm really believing that this could be a prayer uh, for us. Also, Chris and Abby Eaton, part of our church, Abby Sings and the team, they've written a song which is going to be part of this series and we're going to bring that song to you in a few weeks' time as well, which is exciting. Also inside there is a little journal with some notes for you over the next four weeks. I know many of you don't journal and that's all right. I know some of you don't make notes during talks. That's all right. You'll still go to heaven but only just, okay? But I would say to you, I know some of you say, oh, it's not my thing, it's not my thing. That's fine. Can I just say, research proves that what you write down, you will remember much more than what you don't write down. So if you want to grow, if you want to really develop, I know, I've heard hundreds and hundreds of talks in my life, okay? I don't remember many of them, including the ones I've given, all right? But what I have written down I've got a much better chance of not only remembering, but applying in my life and therefore growing. I am not the most disciplined person in the world. My wife will tell you that. But what I have discovered is that if I write stuff down, which I always do whenever I'm not speaking here and I'm on the front row, when these guys say something, I think, oh, that's really important. I need to know. I will write it down. Because what you remember, what you write down, you will remember and apply much more than what you do. Now, so we've given you that over the next four weeks, okay? So you can bring that back with you. And because many of us don't even have pens anymore, because we have smartphones and tablets, we've given you a pen. We're going old school here, old school. So there's a pen for you with the hashtag Zion Follow. If you want to join with us on Twitter... The idea is not just to be fun like this morning, but as God speaks to you and gives you some ideas and some thoughts, please tweet them because every Sunday we're going to keep playing those, okay? And, and the, the reality is this series isn't just about me giving you a load of stuff the next four weeks. It's about what we discover together as a community. You will discover some things and you will tweet them and they'll come up there and it will speak to us. Someone came to me after, uh, after the first service and said to me, I thought, that is so good. I need to write that down myself. I really need to hear that. And so that's part of what you can do. The final thing in your invitation pack is that if over these four weeks you feel challenged and you want to take the next step in your journey, okay, and you want us to help you, then you can do that. There are a whole load of things here. It may be that you say, do you know what? I want to be a follower for the first time. 
you know, or, or I want to find out more about Alpha and I want to be baptized. Loads of different ways that you can take the next step in your journey. If you want to do that, fill all that in, give us your details, put it in the post box, which is hanging on the wall just by the door there, and we will contact you. Is that okay? So the idea is that that invitation pack goes back in the, in the, the envelope and you bring it with you every week and make some notes and follow us and follow what God is doing over these next four weeks. So... Um, just to kick off, today is a longish talk because I need to do a lot of introductions uh, to lay the foundation for us before we head into uh, the series. Um, but what I want to do is I asked Lisa, who's our media uh, designer on staff here, to, to, to find me some photographs which show um, what a fan is. The, the, immediately when you look at the photograph, you will know who it is that they're a fan of. And so on Friday, I said, so did you do those photographs? She said, yes. And so this was the first one she found. We're looking for a new media designer at the moment. No, 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 no. So it's a Villa fan with his head in his hands. And when I looked at it first, I thought, that does look like me, apart from the earring. I'll get that on my 50th. But, but it's not actually me. It's not actually, actually me, but I do empathise with him. And then, so you know who, who he's a fan of because he's got his head in his hands and because he's wearing the Villa stuff. Then the next one, you know who they're a fan of. They're Man United fans. We love Man United fans, don't we? And they're all excited because they win things, but not this season. Oh no, and we're loving it. So here's, here's the next one. Can you tell there's a fan of, what's she a fan of? Just take a wild guess. Yeah, apparently that lady has so many cats, she is also a cat whisperer. She talks to cats apparently. That's fine, making no comment about that at all. And the next one, they're a fan of Doctor Who. Yeah, they are definitely fans of Doctor Who. And the next one, just keep them going. Yes, some Elvis. And apparently... Some people take it so far with the whole Elvis thing that they turn their house into shrines for Elvis, which is a little scary, I think. But there you go. And the next one, we'll keep going. Anyone know that they're a fan of? One Direction, Harry Me, Marry Me. Don't look too carefully there. Let's move on. <laughs> and what are they fans of? Yeah, and what I love about that is, is the detail. Look at, look at the costumes and the ears and the fringe and the hair. It's just amazing and very sad. And then I think the, fi- and the final one, that is a Star Wars wedding. Everybody that went to that wedding had to go with Star Wars. So you can see that these people are crazy. No, but these people are, these people are fans, aren't they? They're fans, and you can tell it by just the way they do life. But here's the thing. There's a difference between a fan and a follower. So the dictionary says a fan is an enthusiastic admirer. So in other words, with sport, they're really enthusiastic. They wear all the gear. They know everything. They sing songs, but they don't ever actually play the game. When it comes to like music, you know, they know the songs and they, and, and they have the posters and, and they have all the albums, but they never get on stage and sing the song. And then when it comes to celebrities, we know all about celebrities and we know all the gossip and we know all that stuff, but we don't know them. We think we know them because we know about them, but that's a fan. It's not a follower. And 23 times in the New Testament, in the Bible, Jesus says, follow me. It was an invitation not to be a fan, but to be a follower. And it was an invitation, firstly, uh, to relationship. Uh, We're going to look at three pictures of relationship next week uh, that Jesus talks about. One is the father and the son. One is the vine and the branches. And the other is shepherd and sheep. They're three pictures of relationship. You know, Jesus doesn't invite you into a uh, a, a religion or, or a system. It's a relationship. But not only is it an invitation to relationship, it's an invitation to a journey. Often when Jesus came along to people and he said, follow me. If that was me, I'd probably say, where are we going? <laughs> you know, just let me check. But, it, but they never said that. 
Because it was relationship and then journey. And then not only a relationship and a journey, it was also an invitation to a process. You see, religion says change and then you can join. But Jesus says join and then you'll change. Follow me and then there'll be some change that comes in your life. And there are two big questions that we're going to look at over this series. First question is this, how do I know if I'm a fan or a follower? How do I know if I'm a fan of Jesus or a follower of Jesus? And secondly, if I am a follower, how do I know that I'm still following? Because you see, following is a verb. And Jesus invites you not into a noun, but into a verb. In other words, it's something that is going on and is continuing to go on. And I've been challenged by this in my own life because, you know, I, I accepted, I gave my life to Jesus. I became a Jesus follower when I was 15, which is 43 years. 43 or 23 years? Let me get this right. Uh, 33, it's a long time ago, all right? I can't even remember. It's a long time ago. And I made a decision and became a follower. Now, all these years later, the question isn't have I followed, but am I following? Am I still following now? That's the question. We're going to look at that over these next few weeks. So first, we need to lay some foundations. And what I need to do is this. I need to ask you to do something for me. If you are a Christian and you've been a Christian a long time, forget everything you know. Some of you are saying that. ain't going to be very difficult. Okay, so that's fine. If you're not a Christian and you're not sure about this whole Christianity thing and you're here and you're checking it out, forget all you think you know about Christianity. Because many people who aren't Christians, they think they know what it means to be a Christian. And many people who have been Christian a long time think they know what it is to be a Christian, but actually have got some of it wrong. So I want all of you, if you can, to forget it and try and come at it with some fresh eyes. Because I need to lay some foundations to you. So who is the invitation to? Firstly, the invitation is to people who are not religious. Matthew chapter 9. If you've got a Bible, if not, then we'll follow it up on the screen. It's a great story. I'm going to delve into this story for a bit. Bible says this, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. Now let's pause it there. You've got to understand some context here. This is Jewish people in Israel in Roman occupation, okay? Matthew was Jewish. He was one of their their boys. He was a local boy. He was a tax collector, which means that he was And you can tell that because it cunningly says he was sitting at the tax collector's booth collecting money. So that's how you know he's a tax collector. And he's sitting there as a Jewish person collecting money for the Romans who are occupying the land. Not only collecting taxes, but extorting money out of the locals, out of his community for the occupying forces. To the Jewish people, this, what Matthew was doing, is the lowest of the low. This is like someone who sells drugs to kids. This is how people would have viewed it. You'd imagine Jesus, who was a rabbi, a religious teacher, okay, a teacher of the law. Uh, you'd imagine a rabbi like Jesus would come along and say, well, <laughs> I bet your mom's really proud of what you've become. But she doesn't do that. he doesn't do that. He comes along to this person who's considered the lowest of the low, and he says, Matthew, follow me. That's shocking, shocking to the religious people. Because it goes on to say, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, so not only is he following him, now he's gone to his house for dinner, Many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees, they're the religious people, saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, if you're not a Christian, you know that the sin word is, uh, is a word that Christians and people talk about a lot. And, and if, you, if you're not a Christian yet and, and, and you, you, you're not sure what a sinner is, but you know that it's basically not good. You know that, don't you? Because it's, it's a common word. 
Here's the interesting thing. Matthew was not even considered in the bracket of sinners. They had a whole different category for tax collectors. So it's tax collectors and sinners. So really bad people are sinners. And then it's worse, they're tax collectors. So if you work for the Inland Revenue, we can, it's not about you, all right? So this is, this is all about context of the time. So the religious people are saying, listen, sinners, that's one thing. But you've got tax collectors with you. There's a category all on their own for these guys. And here's the interesting thing. Jesus is in the house with those guys. Let me make a comment. Those of you that have been Christian a long time, churches get inward really easily. People join church, they become a Christian, and then it all gets inward. And we say church is about us. And it's all about us getting deeper. It's all about us getting closer and all us and us and us. And we fight then and we resist almost other people coming in. If we do that, we're going to miss Jesus. Because where Jesus is, is not on the outside. Jesus is eating with all those kind of people. The religious people are outside. They're outside of where Jesus is. I don't want to be like that, do you? The minute we go inward, we run the risk of not being where Jesus is. Because Jesus is with those guys. And then it kind of goes on. They're getting really annoyed and, uh, and they're beginning to, to chunter as religious people do. And it says on hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy you need a doctor, but those who are real. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus is saying, the healthy don't need a doctor, but if you're sick, you do. And here's the thing about people who are not religious. You know, they know they're not perfect. They know they've not got it all together. They know that if there is a God, they've not kept his rules because they've not kept their own rules. None of us have kept their own rules, let alone God's. They know that. Religious people don't know that. Religious people think that by what they believe and how they behave, they keep all the rules and they make God happy. But people who are not religious know that if there was a God, that actually they haven't kept him happy. They know that. They're aware of their own need. Jesus is not content for someone to follow him who knows how to behave and who knows what to believe but has no sense of their own need. The people that Jesus invites into a relationship are people who have a sense of their own need. You see, religion says change and join us but Jesus says join us and you'll change. And here's a a statement for you. You do not have to believe in God to follow Jesus. That sounds quite shocking. You don't have to. Matthew didn't believe in Jesus. Matthew wasn't a believer. None of the early disciples were believers when they first started to follow. But they followed this man, Jesus. And in the process of following, they came to believe. Now, belief is really important, okay? And just just to get this right, because some of you are writing down now, which is a bit scary. I do believe, all right? Let me just get that right. But what I'm saying to some of you this morning is you must say, you know, I'm intrigued by all this. But does that mean I have to believe in the virgin birth? I have to believe in creation in seven days. And I have to believe in all this. You don't have to believe to follow. All of that stuff's important and it will all come. But religion says, believe the right things, behave the right way, then you're in. Jesus says, follow me. Follow me. We're going on a journey. We're going to explore some stuff. You'll come to believe, you'll come to behave, but you'll do it not because you're doing it the religious way, but it's out of relationship. So the invitation is to people who are not religious. But secondly, the invitation is also to people who are not great at being religious. What do I mean by that? Look in Matthew chapter 4. Very well-known little story. And I want to hopefully shed some new light on it for you. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Another 
subtle clue there. Then he said to them, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. How many of you have ever heard that story before? Like most of you, a lot of you. And I, I've heard that story for years, like since I was a kid. And the impression in my head is when you try and apply it, it's okay. So they're, that's, they're doing their job. Jesus, the rabbi, comes along, says, leave your nets, follow me. They quit their job and they go. So I imagine if I wasn't a Christian, okay, and some of you may not be Christians this morning, you may think, so I'm in Asda, in my job, or in the bank, or in the factory, or in the home, or, or at school, or in the, in the classroom teaching, whatever. I'm doing the job, and all of a sudden, you talk to me about Jesus, and Jesus now expects me to quit my job and follow him. Because that's how it reads. But that's actually not really what happened. You see, Matthew writes that story to a Jewish audience, okay? People who understand Judaism and the Jewish context. But if you look in Luke, which is another gospel, Luke talks about the same story in Luke chapter 5. And it's a totally different story. But at the end of the story, exactly the same thing happens. They leave their nets and they follow him. You see, that's, so you get two stories. And some people who are not Christians say, that's why the Bible is rubbish. Because it contradicts itself. It doesn't contradict itself. It's two different views of the same story. It's a little bit like the way men and women communicate. Wouldn't you say? One of those species, when they're retelling something, will give a lot of detail. The other one, and I don't want to stereotype it, so you, you fill it in yourself. The other one will want to get a fast forward button and get to the detail and the headlines. Am I right? Yeah, I think you know I am. Some of you are just a little nervous about that. You, you see, but, but if a man or a woman look, describe the same story, they're, it's both right, but they're from a different perspective. And that's what happens here. So Matthew just gives you the headlines because it's a Jewish audience. Luke, on the other hand, gives you process and detail. And when you look in Luke 5, and we're not going to look at it today, I'll explain it to you. But if you are in life groups, you'll look at that this week. It happens totally different. There's four phases that you can see develop through this story of what ended up with them dropping their nets and leaving and following him. The first phase is the sit and listen phase. So when, when Luke recounts the story, what happens is that Jesus is teaching about God and about the kingdom and Peter and these other guys are hanging around and fishing and they're listening to him. And you see that in Luke. They're listening to what he's saying. That's really important. You see, see for some of you this morning, guys, what you need to do is you just need to sit and listen. You need to hear teaching. And it may be that you're not a Christian and you think, do you know what, that's just me. I'm not ready to commit. I'm not ready to leave my nets. I'm not ready to do that. That's fine. You sit and you listen. Come back every week. Come back every week and hear a little bit more. But then the second phase, what went on next, was the inconvenience phase. Because Jesus said to Peter, can I borrow your boat? Can, I go, can we go out together? Can I inconvenience you a little bit? And that's the next phase in following, actually. And for nearly 30 people last Monday, they're at that inconvenience phase because they signed up for Alpha. So they've said, I'm going to go every Monday night and I'm not just going to sit and listen. I'm going to talk. I'm going to be inconvenienced a little bit more. And it may be this morning that you haven't signed up for Alpha, but you want to and you can do that. You can start tomorrow night. You've only missed one week. You'll catch up. No problem. Sign up at the back. Love to see you there tomorrow night. That's the second phase. So the sit and listen, then there's inconvenience. Then the third phase is do something together. So then Jesus said, you know what, you've been fishing on your own and you haven't got very far, but let's do it together now. Why don't you go over that side of the boat, cast your nets there. And so they, they do that and together they bring in this amazing catch of fish. They do something together. That's the next phase of what it means to be a follower. Maybe that this week you could try that. Do you know what, this week I'm going to do something with Jesus. I don't know whether I 
kind of got it all sorted out, but I'm going to go to that next phase. I'm going to do something. Why don't we try that? We're going to live our life together. Why don't we do work together? Why don't we join? Why don't I join you this week? And then the fourth phase of follow, then when they bring the massive catch of fish back in and they go, wow, this is amazing. You really are God. This is incredible. Then Jesus says, you know, you're catching fish, but you know, this could be better than that. Follow me. And then it says immediately they left their nets and followed him. But the reason that that's different is because Matthew's writing to a Jewish audience and Jewish people understand the significance of the phrase, come follow me. Non-Jewish people don't understand it. And I want to explain it to you. Now, this isn't, uh, this isn't my stuff. This is stuff from a guy called Rob Bell that's brought this teaching to the church, which has been really helpful. And I've done it before, and some of you have seen it before and heard it before. But it's really helpful that you get this. And I really hope that this could be life-giving to some of you this morning. You see, a rabbi in Jewish culture was a teacher. Okay, Jesus was a rabbi. And at the age of 30, rabbis began to start their ministry. And they looked for disciples. Or another word for disciple is a follower. And they used to, fight to try and go into towns and villages and find people who would want to follow them. And um, when you followed a rabbi, when you became a disciple, you didn't just go where they went. You didn't just know what they knew. You became like them. The goal of a follower, of a rabbi, was to go where the rabbi goes, do what the rabbi does, and become like the rabbi. But there was a whole selection process that went on, and I want to show that for you. So can I have the worship team again, because you've already been a part of this? Thank you very much. And Dan and Simon, can we introduce you? Little, little ripple of applause for these guys. Now, just while they get all lined up, let's just, let's just, just let them pause, and you can just look at them for a minute, because it's well worth a look. Um, so... <laughs> Who here is really great at being a really great Christian? No, okay. Let, let, let's, let's put it to a test a little bit, okay? So how many of you go to church? Like you're all in church now, so that's yes, okay? That's hand up, let me go, okay. Um, how many of you own more than one Bible? Oh yeah, pretty good, pretty good. How many of you only listen to Christian music? Ooh, okay, just a okay. How many of you ever had a Christian bracelet on your, on your hand? Okay, and you've got one now, Charlie, fantastic. How many of you never, ever say bad words, especially when you're driving? Okay, a couple of you, that's good, not many. How many of you, under religious views on Facebook, you have Christ follower, not Jedi Knight or something like that? Okay, some of you do that. Okay, that's good, a little bit. Less. How many of you, every morning, before you have breakfast, li- read at least Leviticus? At least. Right, none of you. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah right, yeah, right. Oh, you had to read it every day. What, Leviticus? All right, that's good. <laughs> we'll carry this on afterwards, shall we? <laughs> so the, th- the reason I said, there's always seems to be tests when it comes to faith, isn't it? There's always that, oh, I can't do that, I can't do that. And the thing is, when you have tests like that, and you, sometimes as a, as a Jesus follower, and I feel like it as well, even a pastor, I feel, oh, I'm just not a good follower of Jesus because sometimes I don't read the Bible, and sometimes I do say a bad word, or, and I do listen to music that's not Christian. And, and there's always this test thing. That's nothing compared to what it was like if you were a Jewish person. Now, in Jesus' day, all these would be boys, okay? But actually, that was the culture of the day. Jesus and the teaching of the Bible elevated women to that status where they should be of total equality, okay? So we moved on from that. But, but just for the, so, so, so we've got guys and girls here. But in Jesus' day, they'd all been boys. Now, at the age of six, the rabbi would come and he'd get a group of fine-looking specimens like this, so real good religious lads, okay, and girls, let's say, and, and they would go into the first stage of the school, okay? Now, this is called 
I want to get this right, Bates Affair, okay, Hebrew word. And it's going to last about four years. And so at the age of 10, Rabbi is going to come back and he's going to test them all. And he's testing them on their memory. They've got to memorize the first five books of the Old Testament called the Torah. Now, let's make, let's see, what are the first five books of the Old Testament? Let's bring it down a bit. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Fantastic. You wouldn't pass just by saying the first five books. You've got to know all of it. These kids at 10 memorized all of the first five books of the Old Testament. Then the rabbi tested them, but then do you know what? He says to them, do you know what? You three had a really brave effort, but I'm sorry, I don't think you're going to make it. So if you go, so if you leave, you're gone. It is like, you know, big brother type thing, isn't it really? Religious big brother. And basically he'd say to them, go back to the family business. You're not going to cut it as a follower of the rabbi. And then four years, so then these guys enter now at 10, stage two, which is Beit Talmud, where they're not just going to learn, keep going over the first five books, they're going to do the whole Old Testament. The history, the prophets, the song, all this stuff. Wow. And then, so, so that's at 10. So then around 14, the rabbi's coming back and he's testing these kids on the whole of the Old Testament. And you know, he says to these three guys here, I'm really sorry, but you ain't going to make it. Do you know what I mean? So you've been in this for four, for eight years now, and you've learned all this stuff, but sorry, you're not going to cut it, so you need to go back to the family business. But these four guys, you can come a little bit center stage, guys. <laughs> yeah, so much. No. Now, they've entered into the last thing. Now they're in Beit Midrash, okay? That's what it's called. That's not a, like an infection that needs cream. That's, that's a... Say that. That's it's it's a time. Okay, they're in this third stage of this whole rabbi school. Now, when the rabbi comes back, he's not only teaching. They've done all the scripture stuff. But here's the interesting thing: every rabbi has what he calls a yoke, which is a set of his teachings. Each rabbi interprets the scriptures how he interprets them. They're called his yoke. So that changes the whole way we view some scriptures, doesn't it? Take my yoke on you, because it's easy. Says Jesus. He has a set of teachings called his yoke. And he's gonna, he wants to test them, not just on what they know, but on are they going to follow him? Are they going to go with him? Are they going to become like him? Are they going to do what he does and see what he, what he sees and, and go to the places he goes to? Are they going to cut it? And there's a phrase that's called, are they going to walk in the dust of the rabbi? In other words, they're going to walk on these dusty roads and be on the same street in relationship, in adventure, in journey together. And he's going to test them all. And you know what? He's going to say to these two guys, I'm sorry, but you haven't made it. Now, can I say at the first service, these two went out at age six. Can I just say that? But here's the thing. Here's the thing. He then turns to the lads who've made it, who've been in all these years of study and all these times of tests and just and scraping through and thinking, yeah. And you know what he says? Now, you guys are the best of the best of the best. And then he says three incredible words to them. Come, follow me. Isn't that amazing? Come, follow me. And these three guys are off. Thank you. And they're gone because they know exactly what that means. They have made the test. Now, what's incredible about that is that now picture the scene. Jesus, who's 30, begins his rabbi ministry, rabbinic ministry teaching. And he comes to all these Jewish lads. And after a time of them listening to him and getting in the boat and doing all that, he turns to them and says, hey guys, come follow me. They say, what, what, me? All these guys would have been in rabbi school and failed. They're not great at being religious. But Jesus comes along and says, do you know what? The invitation is to you. I think that's amazing. 
He says, you know, you haven't made it. You, you know, you kind of kicked out of school. You, didn't, you weren't quite religious enough, but I believe in you. Please come and follow me. Isn't that brilliant? And that's what I said. I said, oh God, because I know I would have been in that, that group that hadn't made it. I wouldn't be in that best of the best of the best. I wouldn't be in that. And most of us would identify with that. But Jesus says it isn't about how much you know. It isn't about how great you are in all these different environments. It isn't about what you believe or what you behave. It's simply about the fact that I believe in you. Please come and follow me. And off they went. Come, follow me. So as we finish, I want to say the invitation has some incredible implications for you and I today. And I'm balancing here between those of you who are not yet Christians. And I want to encourage you to to make that next step, whatever it is for you, to begin to follow him. And for those of us that have been Christians for actually quite a long time, I want to challenge you over these next few weeks to really continue to be a follower. Don't make it a noun, make it a verb. It's what I'm doing, not what I've done. It's about what I'm allowing God to do in my life. That's why the personal MOT is so important. Those of us that say, you know what, I'm going to give you four hours because I want to keep following after him. I don't want to just be a past tense believer or past tense follower. I want to be current, present and future. But there are four implications in this invitation. First is this. This is an invitation to anyone. Rich, poor, young, old, black, white, scholars, failures. You know, all this kind of, it's an invitation to anyone. It's an invitation, secondly, with only one condition, and that's RSVP. You need to respond. And for you, the response might be this morning, well, I'm just going to sit and listen. I'm going to buy into this series. That's a response. That's brilliant. For some of you, the response might be something more than that. You might say, actually, I need to be inconvenienced. Some of you, you might say, do you know what? I'm going to try and do something with Jesus this week. For some of you, might say, do you know what? I'm going to give my life. I'm, I'm going to drop my nets and follow him. Whatever the response is. For some of you who've been a Christian a long time, you know, you, your response might be, do you know what? It's been ages since I've read the Bible. Do you know, 84% of people in evangelical Bible-believing churches, 84% of people in this country say they don't read the Bible from one Sunday to the next. Now, now that isn't about being religious and reading it to tick a box. Okay, that's actually, if we have an ongoing relationship with him, I'd really want to read it. So it may be for some of us, that's what we've got to get to grips with, that we're going to start doing that again. Or we're going to start serving, because some of us who've been following a long time have got a little bit burnt out. And the next step for us in our following is to say, God, would you light that fire again so that we can serve, so that I can serve. Or perhaps giving. See, some people have been following so long that they've actually, over time, allowed that whole section of their life to be hived away from God. But followers don't do that. Fans do that. Followers don't do that. Followers say, everything in my life is about you, God. And that could be the next step for some of you over the next few weeks. I don't know what it is. But there's an invitation, and the only condition is you respond. Thirdly, this is an invitation to a relationship And the relationship is one of friendship, adventure, and journey. And why I love this whole thing is that then several kind of chapters later, you you read in Matthew and in other Gospels about that story when when the disciples are in the boat and Jesus is walking on the water and there's a storm. Do you remember that? And Peter says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come. And he gets out and he walks on the water. And then you all know the story. He sinks and Jesus grabs him by the hand and lifts him up. Then Jesus says, why did you doubt And I was brought up to think that means, why did you doubt me? I'm not sure it does mean that. Perhaps it means, why did you doubt yourself? Because I said you could do it. And actually, God believes in you more than you do. And this whole relationship and friendship will develop that sense of who you are in God and what we're able to do because of God living in us. And fourthly, this is an invitation with an amazing goal at the end. So what is the goal of following Jesus? 
Is it to be a better person? Well, I don't think that is the goal, but you will be a better person, I think, if you're a follower of Jesus. Not saying you're not a bad person now. And there's lots of people who aren't followers of Jesus who are nicer people than us, okay? Nicer people than me. But can I tell you, whatever I'm like now, I was much worse without Jesus. That's the point, okay? We will be a better person if we follow the teaching of Jesus, but that's not the goal. Is the goal of being a follower that we go to heaven when we die? Well, no, but that's thrown in there, if you like. Is it that we will live a pain-free, problem-free life if we're a follower of Jesus? No, it isn't. So what is the goal of being a follower? And I could speak for an hour on this. I'll do it in two minutes. Matthew chapter 10. Jesus tells his followers what's going to happen to them in the future. Now, can I say, this is not going to happen to you and I, probably. Okay, this is the context of the day. But, so he tells them, listen, you follow me, and what's going to happen in the future is this. There'll come a time when you'll face trial for being my followers, you'll be beaten, and you'll be put in prison. But don't worry, Jesus says, because at that time, I'll tell you what to say. I'll say, whoa, 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 back the truck up. I don't care about the words to say. Let's just talk a little bit about what you said before that, which was about, what was it? Facing trial, being beaten, and thrown in prison. I'm not particularly bothered about what to say. I just don't want to do those three things. Then he, then he says, this is paraphrase. then he says, don't worry, it gets worse. He says, because after that, people will deny you and you'll suffer all kinds of things for my sake. But then, but then in Matthew 10, verse 28, it says this, but don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God. The end goal of faith, folks, is not be a better person. It's not go to heaven when you die. It's not to live a pain-free problem-free life. The goal of following is to have a faith that overwhelms fear. That's it. That's why, and there's lots of other th- stuff that's going to happen when you follow, and we'll go into all that. That's why Jesus links fear and faith so many times in the New Testament. So, 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 so you're in a boat, and, and you feel like you're going to drown. Why have you a little faith? Fear and faith are always linked together, because fear is the opposite of faith. Not, not, not doubt so much, but the fear and faith are always in clash and intention. And Jesus says, if you follow me, the goal somewhere in the future is whatever happens, whatever happens to you. Because you know, all kinds of things can touch your body. All kinds of things can affect your marriage and your finances and your home and your kids and, and all of this. But you can know faith. You can know peace. You can know a connection with God in the middle of that fear. You can have a faith that overwhelms your fear. I want to have that faith, don't you? Can I just say, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet, but I want to be. And the promise of Jesus is when we are followers and we keep following, the end goal, part of the end goal is to have a faith that overwhelms fear. It honours God and it frees us up to love people in a way that he wants us to do it. I'm not there yet, but I want to be. And it will only come if I continue to follow. Now, you've seen people, Christians, who faced incredible circumstances, incredible pressure, and they seem to have a faith that overwhelms the fear. Anyone know anyone like that? They seem to have a confidence inside. And deep down, you and I think, do you know what? They're either in denial or they're on drugs. That's what we think. But also deep down, there's something inside of us that wants what they've got. We want that. We want to be able to face that kind of stuff and still have that confidence in God and still be able to declare that God is able even with all that horrible stuff happening to them. And Jesus says, you follow me. Guys, that's where we're heading up. Don't worry, don't fear. In whatever circumstance you're facing, you'll hear the whisper that says, fear not, I'm with you. 
Fear not, I'm with you. Fear not, I'm with you. There is a faith that overwhelms our fear. 20 years after Jesus, the Apostle Paul writes a letter to a church of early Christians in Rome. And we know it, some of us, very well. Let me just read it to you. It's Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And Paul says, we know. Well, hang on a minute. Paul, don't you mean we hope? Don't you mean we believe? No, no, no. We know. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Goes on to say, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth. Now let me throw some of my own words in. Not the Tories, Labour, Lib Dem, or even UKIP. Not banks collapsing, unemployment, financial pressure, broken promises, or fading dreams. Not growing older, challenging people, setback or disappointment, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Don't I hear an amen or some description, sisters and brothers? (laughs) And it's like the reason I put those words in is because we need to see it in what Paul really meant. Paul went through all these categories and then he said, nor anything else in all creation. So anything else I've missed out is covered. And we live in a world, don't we, with, oh, if only the right party got into power and we, and we believe in that and we pray for them and all of that stuff. But listen, it's not down to that. And if the banks collapse again and, and if this happens and if that happens, we have a God who has said he will never leave us or forsake us. We can have a faith that overwhelms our fear. No matter what they do to our body, no matter what life does to our body, it cannot touch our soul. That's amazing, isn't it? That's the goal of being a follower of Jesus Christ. So at the start of this series, I want to invite you to follow. I want to invite you to follow. For some of you, that's like for the first time. Just take the next step. Hang with us. Come back. Sit and listen. But for some of you, you, you're further into that whole journey. But perhaps it's been a long time since you've been following. You followed, but it's been a long time since you are actively following Jesus. I want to invite you. Jesus wants to invite you to follow him. Let's pray. Why don't we stand together, if you're able. Just right where you are, it may be that some of you are fearful right now. You're facing a situation where you're just feeling overwhelmed with fear. And perhaps at the start of this new year, you know, you've got so many things that are all kind of stacking up in your mind what about this and what about that and what about the other and Jesus says to you follow me follow me follow me you know the the great thing is that Jesus promises that he'll lead us to a place where our faith will overwhelm our fear but along the way he intervenes as well and into our turbulent situations he brings some peace and some order and some presence and so that other instance the one I referred to where the disciples again are in a boat and they're in a storm and they were fishermen so they knew storms but this one was was bad they thought they were going to die and Jesus was with them but he was asleep and they woke him up and said don't you even care don't you care if we drown or not and he gets up and he speaks and he brings peace and calm and then he says where's your faith they still haven't arrived yet you haven't got to that faith that overwhelms fear but you're on a journey but in the process of that he speaks peace I want to speak peace over you in his name this morning so it may be, start of our series, that some of you are saying, well, that's all very well and good, but, but I feel fearful right now. That's okay. That's okay. Followers do feel fearful, but we're on a journey to a place 
where we will we'll eventually have a faith that overwhelms our fear. But it may be right now that you're in a boat and it feels like you're tossed all around the place. I want you to know Jesus is in your boat. If you've said, I'll follow him, you might not even believe all the stuff. But you say, I want to follow him, then he's with you. And I want to pray right now that you'll know his peace and his presence. So let's pray. Father, thank you for just this amazing stuff and this amazing invitation in one word, follow. God, how easy it is on Twitter to follow someone or unfollow. But God, there's something much richer about following you. And Jesus, I want to pray right now that if there's anyone here who's, whose life is in a storm right now, God, I pray that in these moments that your peace and presence would invade their life that you would still their beating heart, that you would calm their anxious thoughts, that you, Lord Jesus, would show them, God, that you are a God who promised never to leave us or forsake us, who will walk through everything with us. The Bible says, even if we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you know, you, you're with us. You're our shepherd. That's that relationship. So God, I pray that, Lord, as we finish this morning, as we begin, hopefully, a new sense of following you as individuals and as a community of faith, that, God, this will be such an exciting year because we're going to follow you wherever you go and we don't know where that is. We're going to follow you. We want to become like you. We want to do what you do. Be who you are. Know what you know. We wanted all of that, but, God, at the end of all that, that overwhelming faith that is stronger than fear, God, we want that. And so, Lord, right now I pray, Holy Spirit, would you speak? Would you bring peace to many of our lives and situations? In Jesus' name I pray. God, as we sing this song with such great biblical truth, Lord, I pray that even the words of this song will bring peace, stability, confidence to our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen.